this overview of this book, uh, it gives us the purpose of God. And I was actually meditating on this early in the morning. And the, the purpose of God, when we hear God revealing his purpose and his actions, we have the narrative of, of the way he acts and the plan that's revealed. What it does for us is, when we read Genesis Revelation and we look at this book, Exodus, we get to know who he is. It's a revelation of himself. In Exodus 3, we see God revealing who he is to the deliverer that he raises up, which is Moses. Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. This Horeb is considered a, a region, and some say that Horeb and Mount Sinai are different peaks of the same area, same mountain or mountains, but it's known as the mountain of God. And Horeb and Sinai, Mount Sinai is uh, typically considered synonymous for uh, discussion purposes. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. God purposely did that. But also, it was a natural phenomenon for dry vegetation with intense heat in the atmosphere and the weather to catch fire sometimes, although it's not recorded that there's a uh, proneness of that area to have the vegetation catch fire, but it's possible. This was unusual because this bush was not consumed. People expect to hear God speak to them audibly. God speak to them directly in some kind of um, voice within the conscience. He does. He does. However, he also speaks through circumstances. And it's to the person that understands that God is trying to communicate to me. You may be on public transportation. You may be driving in your car. You may be in an office building. You may be at the mall. And you see a certain situation. You see a crisis. You see something unusual. Number one, we need to understand that God is in control. He's sovereign. And that he knew this was going to happen and that your eyes would see those things. Your ears would hear certain things. And it should cause one to inquire of God, Lord, what's happening? There's this tendency of human beings to look at things as spectators and assume that it's just another happening 
That's how it is in life and in the world. But the Krishna is a different creature altogether. We're under the leadership, under the guidance, and the personal care of the living God. So that when we see things, we hear things, when we approach a crisis, a change of circumstance, and circumstances, we need only to look to God, ask what's happening. Now Moses knew God, as we understand very clearly from scriptures, he left Egypt, specifically not only because of fear that he's going to be killed by the Pharaoh, but he chose to suffer afflictions with the people of God rather than to stay in the palace in Egypt and enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He knew God. He knew God and he stood up for God's justice in defending his Hebrew brother who was oppressed. And he tried to do it twice. He tried to bring justice, but it wasn't going to solve the crisis of the nation under the bondage and cruelty of the oppressor. The Lord gives quite a long time for Moses, several decades, to condition him. But not just to condition him. We spoke about the cup of God's wrath that was filling up by the Egyptians. There's also the time that God prophesied 430 years exactly there's people's deliverance time to come there's a set time these are the considerations that when we go through trials when we go through situations we're strapped for cash financial burden it's a very real crisis and burden that can really not only drain us but feel so oppressive that we want to escape what do I do with all these bills mounting? Oh, God. Such a situation and a health crisis. Some horrific times that we can go through. We consider God is doing something to us. Cause our dependency upon him to deepen. We consider that the devil's time is coming for God to pay back the oppression that he may bring upon us and through people who may misuse or abuse what belongs to us and us God is watching as we heard yesterday so eloquently from the Spirit of God through Esther in the service God is watching Hallelujah there's a conditioning a training that Moses went through and we go through when there seems to be a delay in an awfully long time. There's also the payback, vengeance against the enemy who oppresses God's people to various ways. There's also a set time. There's a set time that God has according to his divine schedule and calendar. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, the Bible says. The closer we are to God, the supreme advantage is God will reveal, hallelujah, we won't be in the dark altogether. 
God doesn't reveal every single thing to us all at once. But he gives us revelation and what a consolation, comfort and confidence that God is up to something big, something good, something great and glorious through this time. Moses was being prepared. In this place that was a foreign territory, notice Joseph was taken to a foreign territory called Egypt. To a people whose language he didn't understand. He had to learn it, he had to uh, come under that training there. But it was because God was overseeing and overriding anything enemy, the enemy was trying to do. And God schooled him and trained him to become effectively the ruler in Egypt, to be a deliverer himself. Here, Moses was very familiar with Egypt. But Midian became a strange land to him. And he was in a period of isolation. God watching and preparing him. He sees this extraordinary sight. The Bible records before Moses knew it was the angel of the Lord that appeared to him. This angel of the Lord is no ordinary or typical angel. Because we'll see this angel of the Lord similar to when Jacob wrestled there in at Peniel or Penuel, where he said, I have seen the face of God. You see God speaking. You see the Bible speaking of the angel of the Lord guided and spoke to them. I have done this for you, delivered you. There is no other angel that speaks in that manner. But we see God's revelation more and more. Some say this is the pre-incarnate Christ. Certainly, you see God's voice coming here. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire. But the bush was not consumed. It caught his attention, and he didn't let it go. Especially as believers, knowing these things. We read in the book of Hebrews, which we completed recently, that be not forgetful to entertain who? Your family, your friends, your neighborhood people, your co-workers, your colleagues. No, it's just strangers. Don't forget that some people have entertained angels without realizing it. It's right there, clearly stated in the scripture. Abraham was entertaining some gifts that he didn't expect. We found out they actually happened to be two angels in the Lord himself. Here, Moses looks at this sight. God was in it. There's no accident, accidental or incidental happening in the life of a Christian. God is watching, but God is also very involved. God is so beautiful. I often say to the Lord, Lord, you are the most beautiful person. I'm sure some of you, not all of you say that, one way or another 
How, how, why do we say that? Like the lady that came to Jesus when he was at the Pharisee's house. She, she broke down, but she broke down, um, in a manner that she prepared for that breakdown in the front of everybody in public. It was not a nervous breakdown. It was a breakdown of her heart to express her love. And as much as the alabaster box was broken, the expensive perfume filled that room and she anointed the Lord for his burial. Way before that alabaster box was broken, her heart was broken and what came out was nothing but love for the Savior. And the Lord said, she loves much because she's forgiven much. The closer we are to God, the deeper we are aware of his greatness, of his goodness to us, his beauty. Connection here is that God is involved and he reveals himself and what he reveals himself as, the purpose of that is to let us know not only who he is, but that he's with us. Hallelujah. His presence is with us. He walked personally into the garden to meet with Adam and Eve as was his custom. There is an intimate fellowship. He's the God who's there, not just out there, but there for us right next to us right here. The way he reveals himself is a very personal way, unlike any other so-called deity that Egypt knew or anyone else for that matter. Because he's the living God. He came and presented himself in the fire, in the bush. And Moses said, now he didn't know, this was God in this burning bush. Not too much later he'll come to know it's the same living God that will descend in fire on top of the mountain, Mount Sinai. But for now, he said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush does not burn? It's not indicated here that he understood God's in this. He didn't know. But he didn't let it go. For us, the practical lesson is that what our eyes see and what our ears hear is out of the ordinary. We're not talking about wicked things, unclean things, and temptations from the enemy. Those are to be rejected summarily, immediately, in the name of Jesus. God never encourages or condones curiosity for evil. But other situations that are out of the ordinary. We've been given this desire and hunger for God that is innate within every human being. And that's why it's easy for children to come to God, one of the reasons. They don't complicate themselves with all kinds of prejudices, all kinds of stubbornness, shutting the door in the face of knowledge, but rather go and see what's happening. And above all, ask God what's happening, because he's the God that's there, who's there and who's with us. He's a God who's with us here and now. 
I will now turn aside, said Moses, and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Moses says, here I am. God's going to say, here I am. The revelation of his very name, Yahweh. The very personal name for God. So sacred that the Jews don't say it or write it. Except with that tetragrammaton. Y-H W-H Standing for Yahweh. That word Yahweh is how God reveals himself. That word Yahweh is the personal name for the God of Israel. The Jews consider so sacred, but God revealed himself as that to Moses. I am that I am. Yahweh is Jesus Christ, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. It's a transliteration. This Y-H-W-H. And Moses is also connected. This man who feels that he lost his identity, certainly that temptation would have been there because it's been so long. And he's married to this foreign woman. Although some believe that Midian referred to here this area was inhabited by people who descended from Abraham, not to Sarah, but Keturah, his wife. Still, it was foreign to Moses. And while he's there with this feeling of lostness, the person who speaks to him from this burning bush that does not burn out, who calls to him, He said, I'm the God of your father. Your fathers. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Can you imagine the impact of that statement? First of all, to hear a voice, and that too, the voice of God. And before this revelation, we'll see, God shows him how to stay there in his presence. Approach him and stay there. The first revelation of God to Moses here, the personal revelation, is not even the name, but the revelation of his nature, his character, without saying the name yet. Moses says, here I am. God says, don't draw near to this place. Take your sandals off your feet. Why do people take their shoes off when they go into mosques, when they go into certain temples, 
even in other countries and cultures such as where I originate from in India, I can recall, I don't know how it is now, but anytime people enter the house to worship God, not just the house for sanitary purposes or customary purposes, but particularly when it's a meeting to celebrate and to worship and to draw near to God, Christian meetings, maybe a house meeting, it may be uh, going to a church. I remember as a little boy going to the church. People leave their slippers, their shoes outside. Not every place, but very often I've encountered that. Why do they do that? It's not only, as I said, for hygiene or for respect of the people in the home and to keep their floors clean. But when it's the place of worshiping, worshiping the living God, there's a sense that I'm coming off the street. I'm coming from the world. And there's a pollution that I may be carrying. And it symbolizes a reverence for God. There's so many things that sometimes we may deem as cultural, as traditional. But it has a meaning connected to Scripture and the reverence for God. Imagine that. I wonder how many people in the West, especially in America, instead of coming casually to church, they understand I'm going to meet with the living God in a way that I don't meet him outside. This is a gathering where we're going to worship God together as the body of Christ. And imagine if shoes and slippers were put out of the sanctuary. And people came in quietly and reverently instead of making loud noise when they're walking and all kinds of clutter, clatter and clutter. And they came in quietly. That's another thing that we have observed in other places, other cultures. There's a reverence that people know, even more so than walking into a classroom and Elementary school or high school or the college when the teacher is lecturing, class has begun, more so than going into a principal's office, even more so than going to a courtroom. What obedience and submission people have in reverence for man who has assumed power for a very short time and authority that is quite limited. The Almighty God is present. And further, there are people who go and they kneel immediately before the service starts. And I'm speaking not just out of some ritual or tradition, but what could be considered ritual and tradition, but the heart is behind that. They're kneeling in the presence of God that I've entered, Lord, into your house. And I come first of all, cleanse myself, and as much as I put off my shoes from your presence. Now, I need to put off anything at all that may be hindering me, Lord, from pleasing you. It's not just I want to get the most out of this that I can, but I want to give God the best that I can. A clean heart, a pure heart and clean hands. People kneel when they come, as soon as they come into the church in some places. And then again, prayer time, I've seen places, even churches, 
where everyone kneels on the floor. I've seen Korean churches, hundreds and hundreds, thousands, out in the East, so reverent. Now, it's possible to be among such a crowd, put off the shoes and come in and kneel down and pray and then kneel down when everybody prays together, kneel down when they receive the elements from the Lord's Supper and have a heart like Judas. It's possible. But typically, there's something that happens there's a greater sense of the awareness of God's holiness. Here, God told Moses, I'm here. Don't draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet. Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place where you stand is holy ground. Because God is there, the entire place has become hallowed. Our Father, Wart in heaven, holy is your name, hallowed be your name. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The more we study scripture, the more we see how beautifully God has planned everything and how beautiful he is. We see the connection. God didn't say, I'm coming from somewhere else and I'm God. But he connected Moses immediately to what he already knew but may have well forgotten for all intents and purposes because of being isolated, alone, being trained in the desert. These Midianites were desert dwellers. He's among them far removed, not only from his Hebrew family a long time back, but more recently from the Egyptian family where he grew up. He's neither here nor there. He seems to be nowhere. God comes and said, I'm the God of your fathers. In other words, Moses you come from the direct line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You belong to me. I belong to you. I'm your God. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. He heard the voice, and he was aware all of a sudden, God is in this place. As Jacob got up, woke up from the dream, he said, I didn't know God is in this place. This must be the entrance to the house of God. Bethel. Our church is called El Bethel. The name given by the Lord. Although other temples, Jewish temples and churches may have it. God specifically gave it to us in this church. Because he revealed and he emphasized. He is the God of this house of God. He is the leader. He is the one whose presence we cannot live without. And that's why we have church. That's why this church exists. To honor and glorify, draw nigh, to draw near unto the God of this house. The God of the house of God. El Bethel. 
Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I've surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. Notice the way God speaks. There's a progressive revelation. I'm holy before you get to know any more. You have to prepare yourself. Or you can't be here. Secondly, I'm holy. I'm the self-existent one. But I'm related to you. I made covenant with your fathers. In other words, God conveys his personal covenant. Again, that he's a God who sticks by his word and his love. Next he says, I know the present situation. I'm not just here to say who I am and how we're connected, but I'm here to do something about the crisis. Hallelujah. God is so good. He's so good to me. He loves me so. He's so good to me. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I see your suffering. I see your suffering. I see your suffering. And I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. How intimately acquainted God is with us. Every situation, if we can just connect with him, he's ready to connect with us and help us. He said, I know literally the word sorrows is pains. I know. I know they're suffering their pains. I hear their cry. I see the oppression of those evil, cruel people. He's not just the holy God with a personal revelation and connection to Moses and to us. Not only does he detail the actual situation, but he says, I've come down to do something about it. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. How very fantastic it must have sounded to Moses. After centuries, I can't remember when we were in slaves, our people, Lord, and you're proposing that not only are they going to come out of this bondage, this cruelty, this oppression, but you're going to bring them out to other people's territory, some of the most powerful people, including the Amorites, and give their land to us, Lord? Didn't the Lord Jesus say to us, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go away to prepare that place, I'm coming back to get you so you can be with me where I am. God is the master planner. Hallelujah. He's got everything laid out in our lives. Everything. He has the blueprint for your life and my life. We can know God is never surprised and never unprepared. He's a wonderful God who has a glorious plan for each of our lives. And what he proposes here is, whereas they were quite restricted in the territory of Goshen and wherever they slave labored, labored as slaves, they became so populous that they didn't have room. I said, I've seen your confinement. I'm bringing you out into a large place. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. I sought the Lord. heard my cry. He's brought me out into a large place. He set my feet upon a rock. He said to a land. Not just land. Imagine somebody says, I want to give you acres and acres of land. Free. Who wouldn't jump on that idea? And already people can be calculating and planning. What am I going to do with this? I know what I'll do. I know how to cultivate it. I know how to do this. But you know what God did? He said, the land I'm going to take it to is already going to flow with milk and honey. You're going to go and eat what I've prepared for you. Rich, abundant food that you did not labor for. How marvelous God is. Isn't he the best father? That he knows what we need and he never gives us minimum. He gives us maximum. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continue to be my mouth. How bountiful the Lord is to me. How many of us, if we didn't come to the Lord, if we didn't return to the Lord, if we didn't have a new revelation of the Lord, if we didn't see his supernatural wonders in our lives like never before, would be full of sorrow shut in our own homes. Oh, God. Does that strike a chord with you? You know, and I know, I will be in misery, crying, knowing that I'm doomed. No matter what I have in this life, what I've done and what I could do and who I know. Unless Jesus set me free and set you free from the prison of sin and the oppression of Satan and the depression and the suppression and all kinds of evil, we'd be crying and nobody could console us. No one. But Jesus did. Hallelujah. All of a sudden we're brought out into a wealthy place. We're walking with God. That's why we're able to come to church and praise God together and worship Him. Because God has done something for us on the inside. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. And I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh. Moses might have jumped when he heard that part. I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. You may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God doesn't come with the revelation of his character, his nature, of his personal name, his intimate connection with his people, and then let us know that he's aware of the crisis at hand without having a part for us to play. That he calls us to intercede and pray. We have a responsibility. We're not just reading current events, reading the paper, watching the news. When God gives a revelation about a situation, He expects, expects us to do something about it. He expects us to have an emotional response from the heart with the decision to ask, receive, and carry out God's instruction in the midst of the crisis. To hear, to see what God is up to. Moses gets the shock of his life. 
He becomes a nomadic person himself, uprooted from a palace that seemed to be so secure. And for decades, he's out there, but didn't know that he was right in front of God. The same God who said, I am. I am the God of your father. I am, as Jesus said in John chapter 8 to the people, who, who are you? He said, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Same God. The same God spoke to Moses. It's the same God who was born in Bethlehem. His name was called God with us. A very present help. Emmanuel. God is always revealing himself to his children. His dear children. There's a God who's right there with us. He's the God who sees and the God who acts on our behalf. The God who's with us. Moses, I've given you the background. I've revealed myself to you. Let's go. The time has come. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? God said, Moses, it's not a question of who you are. It's all about who I am. I am sending you. The great I am told you to go, which means I will be with you. Didn't I just tell you? I am the God of the here and now, self-existent one. I am the God whose presence is right here. I am the God who is present with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all of your people who are groaning all these years. I've watched. I was eagerly waiting and the time has come for me to deliver my people. Don't worry about who you are, who you think you are, who you think you're not. I am. God said when Moses had this inferiority complex. And in fact, in truth, we should say, he couldn't deliver the people. He couldn't do it. No man can do it. Only God. When God says, I want to use you, we want Christ to be seen, and only in that way will we be able to accomplish what he wants to do in and through us and for us that I will certainly be with you. And this, so he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. He said, when it's all said and done, you come out. There's no way you can understand how it's going to happen. But God said, you're going to come right back here with all those people. Maybe two or three million people. Can you imagine? He is here, a veritable nobody in his own eyes, seems to be lost for his identity, greatly weakened in his own understanding of his abilities, feeling disabled. God says, I want you to be the enabler and the deliverer. 
Furthermore, I'm going to take you to face Pharaoh. You're going to defeat him, overcome him, and bring two to three million people out. And all of you are going to come to this mountain. Can you understand the context here? Has God called you to do something and you feel it's too big for me? There's no way I can do this. But who told you that he wanted to use you, that he called you to be his own, that he wants to equip you and train you, that he wants to get his word into you, and he wants you to understand more and more of his word so he can know him better. Who told you that he's up to something big, something good and great and glorious, that you have a part in it? Because he has a plan for you. Can we believe God? Can we believe the Lord and take the steps necessary? Say, Lord, use me, Lord. I know. This is what I feel, Lord. The emotions and the trepidation, the fear, the inadequacy, Lord. But I'm going to take a lesson today from what I've seen here in Exodus chapter 3. Never to forget. God calls me to do something. Because God is the great I am. Because he said he'll be with me. I can do it. Hallelujah. For the glory of God and the good of his people. God says, Moses, I see you're not convinced. I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to give you a word. The people that you think you can deliver and the Pharaoh that you think you can't face. I'm going to tell you something. I see it already done. Hallelujah. You're going to come right to this mountain. You're going to worship me with the people. You should serve God on this very mountain. Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Egyptians had all kinds of names for their gods. God says, if they ask you, what's my name? Tell them Yahweh. which people have changed to, say, Jehovah, which is a, another variation of Yehovah, Y-E-H-O-V-A-H, which is derived from Y-H-W-H, Y-H-W-H, the Tetragrammaton, four letters, standing for the sacred name of Yahweh. Another translation simply say the Lord. He says, you want to know the name? I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. It's a a bold and forthright revelation. I am the one who really is has sent me to you. 
a shocking statement if we understand what it means. Not simply the God of the sun and the God of the water and the God of the hills and the God of the plains. I am God of eternity. The God who was, is, and will be. I will be what I will be. I am who I am. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, God of your ancestors, the God, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, send me to you. Immediate connection to people who have lost their identity. Being under bondage. The devil is a liar. When he gives us what we want in this world, when he tempts us to partake of evil pleasures, things that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God, he pretends and he deceives people into thinking that they're special. But he actually sets them up for the slaughterhouse. He hates people because they're made in the image of God. So he does everything he can to pervert them and bring them down to a place of total degradation, worthlessness. And as with many Hollywood and Bollywood and whatever actresses and actresses, actors, they seem to be told that they can become a star. And they can be rich and famous and adored by millions and pampered and get everything they need to get a makeover and do-over. And they can just be presented as shining and very attractive and tempting to the masses and have everybody begging for more. Until the day comes when the devil has the last laugh and they're in a state of decay and absolute disillusionment. Where have all the people gone? I thought they loved me. Well, they've left you for somebody else. A new star. What's going to happen to me? Trash. You go to the trash. Forgotten. Even despised. All the youthful beauty and the strength is gone. Now getting older and older, this so-called Hollywood star, what happened? Totally bereft of any value. And the value that was de derived from other people's admiration, other people's estimation, the devil set them up. Now the shock of their lives I'm actually a nobody, a nothing. In fact, I feel more lonely than before I began this journey to stardom, quote-unquote. To gain the riches and popularity and all of the pleasures that I can get. I abuse my body and let myself be abused. Why? I thought I was in control. I thought I could get things. And now I'm in a state of decay. That's what the devil will do. What God does is, he gives us real value, real worth. He treats us special and he never lies to us. He tells us the truth. He builds us up, not for fall, 
but for greatness that will go on to eternity. What a wonderful, beautiful God. The same thing he said to Moses, that I'm the God of your fathers, he says to Moses to tell the people, gather the elders. Gather the people. This God of your fathers has sent me to you. He hasn't forgotten. Can you imagine the hope that's going to come to those hollow eyes, hollow hearts? God has been watching. Oh, God cares. Time is coming. Time is here. We're about to make an exodus. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial to all generations. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the great I am. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared to me saying, I have surely visited you. Come down and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I've said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to land flowing with milk and honey. Oh God, when is this going to be over? God said, not only am I going to take the oppression and the affliction away, I'm going to make it so wonderful that you're going to actually shine for me. I'm going to bless you so much that all the earth will know you are my treasured possession. Moses, you go tell them this. I have seen, I've come down and visited and seen what you're going through. I'm going to bring you out of all of your troubles. Hallelujah. And I'm going to not only bring you out of troubles and leave you in the desert somewhere in a vacuum. I'm going to bring you into a much larger place flowing with milk and honey. I will prosper you. I love you. I've prepared a place for you. Don't let your heart be troubled. God said, I have some better things for you, much better things. In the book of Hebrews, we've seen that. Those people of old who were given the promises, they didn't really enter in until we came along. Who? Who are we? We didn't even belong to Israel. God picked us up and changed our course. And together with those people, we are able to enjoy something what? Hebrews says, better. Something better. Hallelujah. God says you tell them that. Then they will heed your voice. God already prophesied here. Moses, just do what I tell you. Everything will work out. Doesn't mean there won't be opposition, but it will work out. When it comes to the elders, they will listen to you. Just do what I told you. Go to the elders of Israel to the king of Egypt. You should say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now go to Pharaoh. With the elders. Tell that man. The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please let us go three days journey into the wilderness. That we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I'm sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. So, 
I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst, and after that he will let you go. God said, I will bind the strong man. Jesus says, someone stronger than the strong man has to come. Then he can spoil his goods. That's exactly what God did here. The people said, Lord, we have not even a chance against our taskmasters, against this Pharaoh. They're just beating us, Lord. And they're oppressing us. God says, I'm coming. I'm coming to change everything. But I will come. Stretch out my hand against the enemy. After that, he's going to let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty-handed. Look at the comprehensive plan God just lays out right at the beginning. As I mentioned, not every single detail is there. He doesn't mention the Passover here. He doesn't mention the Red Sea crossing. But he does say the essentials of something that is absolutely supernatural out of this world as far as the benefits that they're going to get. The power of God displayed. They get a snapshot of what God is up to. God has come down to speak with us and to tell us, don't be afraid. Follow me. I will lead you into total prosperity. Hallelujah. He says, not only are you not going to be oppressed anymore by Satan working through Pharaoh and the taskmasters, not only are you going to reclaim your identity as descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you belong to me. I have a plan, just like I promised Abraham, your father. I'm going to execute that plan and bring you out. Not only is Egypt going to know utterly my power, that they can't do this to my people. I'm going to strike them. Notice God didn't say I'm going to persuade them with strong persuasion by eloquence and I'm going to shock them with a thunder clap. He said I'm going to strike them. My missiles are aimed against your enemies. With all my wonders in the midst, I'm going to strike them. And when you're coming out, I will give favor inside of all the people to you. To the very people who despised you and said, oh, there goes the Hebrew slave. Mommy, daddy, who are those people? I see dozens of them working on their structure. Oh, those are the slaves, the Hebrew slaves. Uncle, big brother, big sister. Look, 200 people in the street and they're carrying all these stones for some. Where are they going? Oh, those are the slaves. Where do they come from? Oh, we, we got them um, long before your great-great-great-great-grandpa was born. And, uh, you know, they came here and they're really bad people. We're trying to control them and they keep growing more and more. And that's why we're going to oppress them more. You see, they're bad people. They are slaves. Imagine hearing that everywhere you go. There goes the slave. God says, you're my servants, you're my children. And when you come out, the people who despised you, 
all of a sudden are going to be excited to give you things. Notice, but every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, but you shall plunder the Egyptians. He said, you're just going to go away with the spoil from the very place where you were oppressed. God is up to something big, something good, something great and glorious. The people received all of these things. And among the things that they received, they would have material to build tabernacle later. Such is the scope of God's grand plan for his people. That he takes us from a place where we feel so useless, inadequate, forgotten, ignored, despised, and ourselves breaking down on every level. Under the oppression of the devil and getting those bitter feelings, God comes and says, I'm the holy God. Come to me humbly. Prepare yourself to meet with me. I have a grand plan I want to reveal to you. I see the crises. I want you to have a part in the deliverance of other people, but I've got to prepare you. You've got to trust me. I am the God who is here with you. I'm the God who sees and hears everything. I'm watching. And when I tell you to do something, don't give any excuses. Because I will certainly be with you. You will have a part in the heavenly Canaan with all its blessings if you trust me and obey me. Moses, though he would continue to contest with God's commandment and his promise to the point where God will get angry, God is so gracious. He continues to give him all that he needs to know. And he prepares them to go and do the job. A reluctant Moses. But for us, we need to be careful that we don't look at the negative qualities or the reluctance and say, well, he was like that, so I guess I can too. No. We have much more than Moses did. We have all these examples. In fact, later on, we see Gideon and we see other people who felt they were inadequate. But we also see David, we need to emulate the qualities of faith and say, I am a person of faith because God is revealed. And as I read the Bible, I see so much of how God wants us to behave and how we won't be a hindrance but a help to his program, his plan, his grand purpose to bring deliverance to many people. 
we heard yesterday during the worship and confirmed by the word after that. God says he'll be with us. We need to be concerned about God's kingdom today, even today. But Lord, I want to be your mouthpiece, Lord. Oh, I sanctify myself. Help me, God. Help me, Jesus. Not just on Sunday, Lord. But today, on a Monday, what can I tell about you, Lord? Will I be afraid? Will I feel that I'm not up to the job? Will I say, Lord, you promised you'd be with me because I've hallowed myself. I've changed some things. I've heard things that are displeasing, Lord, and when you bring out the things that are unclean in me, I go with that. I don't resist it. I'm being cleansed. And Lord, in this earthen vessel, you have put your treasure of your word. I have Christ in me. Help me to proclaim Jesus Christ and him crucified. Help me to tell people there's a better life. Hallelujah. A wonderful life. Look, I'm living it. I'm no longer under bondage to sin. I used to be a bitter person, you can say to people perhaps. I used to be an angry person, violent temper. I used to be seduced by the immorality of this world. Perhaps you can give your testimony. I used to think that if I make it in the corporate world or in my profession, I have all the toys at the end of the day and I'll be the happiest person. I see it was a lie and I'm so thankful. God has shown that to me before I get to the end of the road. My friend, I want to tell you, you may say to someone today, God is so beautiful. He's a God who reveals himself. He knows what you're going through. And he wants to help you. He wants to change everything. Everything is a lie. We're not denying that we exist, but we're saying that whatever is promised to us in this world, it only dissatisfies. Empty. In fact, there's an oppression of depression. An oppression of the body, of the mind, of the soul. No matter where one travels and what venture one engages in, never ever satisfies. But Jesus satisfies. Do you want him? Perhaps we can tell someone. He's Emmanuel. He's with us. Perhaps you'll pray for them. Ask them. Can I pray for you? Would you like me to pray? You'd be surprised. How many people would say, Yes. I recall right at this instant the young man who told the vehicle on a very snowy winter day. The vehicle got stuck and he came and he put the vehicle on the flatbed. We could have been stranded all night. But God sent that young man. And as he finished what he had to do and let the vehicle down in our driveway, in the middle of the night, getting ready to go back, he got into his flatbed truck and began to share my testimony and gave the word. And as he heard, he was touched by God's grace. He began to tell me about his girlfriend and his child and his plans. And I gave him a tract and then I prayed for him. He bowed his head and he prayed with me. I conveyed God's love and God's truth. 
Jesus died on the cross for him. He needs to be freed from the devil's oppression. Only the blood of Jesus can cleanse him. We do our part. We trust God for the rest. But at that moment, I could have said, it's late and my hands are freezing and he's full of that ice rain. He was out there in the elements pulling up the vehicle and doing all those things and I'm sure he wants to go home. I could have let it go and said, well, rationalize. God will have somebody else meet him and God will do it. But not when God says, I want you to do it. And that's the thing that we need to be aware of. Are we walking with God and we can know that the Spirit of God says, do this now. And with no excuse and no hesitation, just do it. Give God glory. He's the God. He's the God who's the great I am. He's the God who says, my presence will be with you. And that would characterize Moses' life to the point that Moses would ask him, Lord, if your presence doesn't go with this, I'm not going anywhere. He knew. He needed God that much. And it was a grand privilege. And he knew he'd prosper if God would go with him. Much like King David later on. Lord, shall I go up to fight this enemy or not? God says, go up. I've given them into your hands. You'll go up and you'll get the victory. Our God is the God of victory. Whatever he wants us to do, we will prosper. If we hear his word like Moses did, treasure it and believe it and act upon it. Come before him how? Holy. Reverence. Deep reverence for God. Deep reverence for God. Ready to hear. And not just be hearers of the word, but ready to do. Everyone who's hearing this message is responsible for the souls around you. Never should we dare to say to God, am I my brother's keeper? Your Lord, answer that with the parable of the Good Samaritan and in many other places, in many other ways, that we are to see who is in need, who needs the Savior, and go and be God's mouthpiece to those people. God who connects with us and comforts us. He prepares us. He blesses us. He empowers us. But we still ought to be reverent. We still need to be schooled. There are many things that sometimes when we evangelize, we may do that is not pleasing to God. Because we're trying so hard to convince somebody. We may engage in certain things and mannerisms that God could fine-tune. We need to go to God and say, Lord, change me, Lord. So that when I approach an individual or an individual approaches me or a group of people, and I'm given suddenly the opportunity to proclaim Christ, oh, my God, help me to do it exactly led by the Holy Ghost. Oh, hallelujah. So that he can achieve the goal. That transaction can achieve the goal. Praise be to God. To do a great work for God takes someone to be humble, holy, 
someone to believe God. God will use us to do greater things. Hallelujah. He will reveal more and more of his plan if we continue to study his word and see the grand picture. As I said, God is the most beautiful person. And I see his beauty of his character when he takes Abraham by the hand, as it were, and says, look at the stars. I'm going to make your descendants like that. When he comes to Moses and he says, I'm the God of your fathers. I've watched everything. I'm here for you. I'm with you. Let's go. Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, I thank you for healing, Lord, for your people. Our minds, our bodies, our spirits, Lord, to prepare us, Lord, for the great work you have for us, Lord. Oh, Father, help us, Lord, to go deeper into your word, deeper into your counsel, to put aside everything that hinders, Lord, your will from being accomplished in our lives, to say, yes, Lord, and never know, Lord. Hallelujah. Yes to your divine prosperity. Yes to your display of magnificent, miraculous power in our lives. Yes to fulfill your every commandment. Thank you, Father, for this time. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.